Welcome to It's All Political, the San Francisco Chronicle's political podcast. I'm Joe Garofoli, the Chronicle's senior political writer, and today in the podcast, we're going to be talking about how the coronavirus pandemic is threatening one of the great things that we take for granted here in the United States, the peaceful transfer of power from one presidential administration to another. Our guest is Dave Marchick. He's the director of the Center for Presidential Transition at the Partnership for Public Service. And he says that because of the pandemic, this is going to be the most important transition since 1932, right in the middle of the Great Depression. And if we don't get it right, no matter who wins, it could affect the country for months after the election is over at a time when we need our federal government to work smoothly. And now, here is my conversation with Dave Marchick. Dave Marchick, from your house in Washington, D.C. to mine in Oakland, welcome to It's All Political. You you are a uh, you spent some time growing up in California, correct? I grew up in Berkeley and Orinda. I went to school in Oakland and went to law school in San Francisco. So uh, I miss the Bay Area and glad to talk to someone from Oakland. There we go. There we go. Well, um, so one of, the, one of the wonderful things we take for granted in this country uh, is the peaceful transfer of power. You know, we haven't had any coups so far. When presidents uh, lose an election, they generally uh, they don't refuse to leave the White House. Um, it just doesn't happen automatically. There's a lot of logistics that, that, that go into making this happen behind the scenes. And uh, why don't you start by explaining what you do as, you, as the director of the Center for Presidential Transition at the uh, Partnership for Public Service. And then we'll get into why the transition this year is going to be, you know, like everything else these days, a little bit more challenging because of the coronavirus. Sure. Well, it's great to be with you. The Center for Presidential Transition focuses on supporting effective transition planning. Essentially, the if a new president is elected, it's the largest takeover of any organization anywhere in the world. A new president will have 78 days to appoint 4,000 individuals. 1,250 need to be confirmed. They need to manage a almost a $5 trillion budget and supervise 2 million employees. So it's a huge undertaking in a very short period of time. And or, our organization is focused on supporting an effective and easy transition. And you're a nonpartisan organization. You're not, uh, you're, in fact, who, who are you funded by? So we're funded by foundations mostly and some individuals. We're nonpartisan. And so we're focused on supporting either a new president, if a new president is elected, or a re-election of the current president. Uh, because most people don't think of a current president's transition to a second term as a transition, but it is a transition. And about half of the people that are currently political appointees in a current administration typically leave within six months of a second term. So it's a transition and we're working to support effective uh, transition uh, to a second term if Donald Trump is elected again. So when we were talking the other day, you told me that this is going to be the most important presidential transition since the one that happened in uh, 1932 during the height of the Great Depression. Why is that? Well, there are many reasons. The first is the depth of the crisis. So we now have unemployment that's over twice the level that occurred in 2008 during the Obama, the Bush to Obama transition. Um, the St. Louis Fed predicts that unemployment can go up to 33%, which would be significantly higher than the Great Depression when unemployment peaked in 1932 at 26%. Second is 
the politics are very difficult. In 1932, there was a huge chasm in the country over the role of the federal government, the response, uh, how active the government should be, and also the role of the states. And that chasm exists today. Third is there's personal, there was personal enmity between Hoover and FDR. They didn't like each other. They didn't talk. Even on the inauguration day, when they rode up to the Capitol for FDR's inauguration speech, they didn't speak in the car. And so there are a lot of similarities today, just in terms of the depth of the crisis, the intensity of the crisis. And you add in two other factors. In 1932, you had an economic crisis. Today, you have an economic crisis plus a health crisis. The other thing that makes this, this transition potentially really complicated is that it's possible that the transition could be done remotely because we still could be in a self-isolation situation. And so the complexity of this transition, if there is one, is the highest perhaps in history. What is what's the danger to the country if we don't get this right? Because, you know, as I said, we're this is the transition involves hiring thousands and thousands of political appointees, many of them that have to get uh, that have or have to go under undergo uh, Senate confirmation. How what's the danger of the country if we if we uh, if we mess this up? Well, it's a time of great vulnerability for the country because there's change. So we know that foreign actors tend to try to take advantage of the United States during a transition. Going back to the Soviet Union, the Soviet Union cracked down on dissent in Poland during the Carter to Reagan transition. Obviously, we had the Iran hostage crisis where the Iranians leveraged that situation to affect both the election and during the transition. Um, today, and let me give you one other example. When George W. Bush became president, the transition period was shortened from 77 days to 37 days because of the Bush v. Gore uh, recount. Um, mm -hmm. So he was very slow at getting people in place. What happened? Eight months later, September 11th happened, and Bush had his secretaries in place, his deputy secretaries in place, but not much of the rest of the government. And so the 9-11 Commission basically said that there, the, the country was more vulnerable because Bush did not have a chance to get as many of the people in place as he should have. So it's, it's about speed, it's about getting people in their seats, and it's about being ready for anything. Now, one thing that, that you hear in uh, liberal circles is that if Trump loses and, and regular listeners of this podcast know that, uh, I, I think the president's gonna be reelected just because of the way the electoral college is. Uh, and we have people in the on podcast saying that that's where it's headed right now. But, but if he were, if he were to lose and he refuses to see power, I mean, that would be unprecedented. What, what happens then? Do we have anything in place for what to do then? Well, there is a an act of legislation called the Presidential Transition Act. It was passed in 1963, and it's been amended several times. And it does create some obligations for the federal government to plan, to provide space and resources to the, to the challenging candidate, to get security clearances for the challenging candidate's people so that they're ready to go the day after the election. Um, ultimately, we're a country with rule of law. Uh, we had a disputed election in 2000, Bush v. Gore, and obviously the Supreme Court ruled. Um, people are still bitter about that ruling today. Some people love it, some yes. people hate it. Um, but my sense is that we're a country of laws and whoever wins the election, they'll be a president.
Uh, okay, so that's not a concern of you of yours at this point. Now that the, the um, some some uh, candidates do well at transition, they prepare very well, they keep the candidate in the loop. Others are, are not as good at it. Uh, some are good partners, some are bad partners. Um, uh, the the Trump team <clears throat> didn't didn't prep well for the transition. They the candidate didn't want to be kept in the loop. Uh, he was focused on the election. His transition chief started out to be Chris Christie, the former New Jersey governor, who was a buddy of the president at that point. Then right after the election, the president gave the job to Mike Pence, his vice president. How did that affect the Trump transition and the fir his first several months in office? Great question. So Trump was not the first president to have a problematic transition. Actually, the first president to have a problematic transition in modern times was Jimmy Carter. Jimmy Carter actually was the first recent president to allocate significant time and campaign resources to transition planning. The problem is, is that he set up a transition operation separate from the campaign operation, and he didn't tell anybody on the campaign that he had done this. So a few weeks before the election, people on the campaign found out that there was a separate transition organization, and they weren't oh very God. happy, as you can imagine, because they basically said, boy, these are the people that are going to distribute the spoils of the victory that we won. So we did a podcast. Uh, we have a podcast called Transition Lab, and we had Stu Eisenstadt and David Rubenstein, who were two senior Carter advisors, and they basically said that the poor Carter transition imperiled at least the first year of the Carter presidency, if not more. Fast forward to last cycle, actually, Chris Christie and his team, he had a fellow named Rich Bagger, who was his longtime chief of staff. They did a very good job. They were very serious and diligent about preparation. Um, and then what happened is that a couple days after the election, Trump basically pushed Chris Christie out. And so all that work, all that preparation went out the door. So what happened? What did that mean? Well, let me give you some data. So the key is getting people in place quickly. The best modern transition was probably done by Barack Obama. Um, very good uh, planning. And George Bush did a very good job handing over the reins. He was very, very focused on having a good transition. Mm -hmm. Even with a good transition, Obama only had 69 people, 69 Senate-confirmed position people in place at the 100-day mark. And, and that's out of how many he needed to That's have, out of like 1,250. A half thousand, yeah. yeah. Ahead, 1,200. Okay. And at the end of one year, he had just slightly less than 500 people in place. So what did Trump do? At day, day 100, Trump only had 28 Senate-confirmed people in place, so less than a third. And at the one-year mark, he had just over 300. So... A poor transition clearly can slow down the effectiveness of your first year, if not beyond. We'll be back with more of our conversation with Dave Marchick after this short break. And now let's return to my conversation with Dave Marchick. This is the time of year where transition starts. And uh, you uh, explain to us what happens at this point. The, each of the, now we don't have, uh, of course, we haven't had our political convention, so we don't know if Joe Biden is the is going is the actual Democratic nominee, but he's the likely uh, nominee, of course. Um, what sort of what happens at this point, or should happen at this point of time? Okay, great question. So think about the three constituencies. You have the Trump administration; they should be planning for a second term. You want them to have good people in place, whether you like Trump or not. 
So they do have a team in place with, which is focused on second term planning, which traditionally two term presidents have not done a great job on in year four planning for year five. Second is the career agency officials all around the government. They're mandated under law to prepare for either eventuality. And actually, the law requires them to start on May 3rd, which is this Sunday. Um, Earlier this week, the White House sent a memorandum to all the agencies basically saying it's time to get started, start your preparation, and name an official who's going to be in charge of transition planning by May 3rd. So that has happened, and the agencies are getting started. And then the third group is the Biden campaign. So he's the presumptive nominee. He said last week that he's starting transition planning. Um, He has a number of people around him who have great experience in transition planning, including Ted Kaufman, who um, was Biden's successor in the Senate. And the actual transition law is named the Ted Kaufman and Mike Levitt Transition Act. So I think all three constituencies are taking it very seriously, which ultimately is good for our country, regardless of who you support. What are, um, are there any other challenges that the coronavirus presents to transition? Huge, huge challenges. Imagine what it would be like if we have an election day where nobody shows up in the polls and it's all done by mail. We may not know the results of the election the night of, as we usually do. We could have a virtual transition. And so that creates all kinds of questions about how do you do interviews? How do you vet candidates? How do you test the waters on their backgrounds? If we're in a virtual environment, are there Senate confirmation hearings? Getting through the Senate is already complicated enough. The degree of difficulty, if you have to have remote Senate confirmation processes, is just extraordinary. So that's why I said the combination of the situation in which the country finds itself plus the possibility that we still could be in the grips of a health crisis, make this the most complicated transition in a long time, at least since 1932. I know that the the center over the last several years has really professionalized the the transition uh, process. There's all kinds of, uh, everybody's in touch. There's uh, ongoing documentation. You have a very robust website. Have you planned for <laughs> a, 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 what's, what's what we're going through now? A, you know, a virtual, a potential virtual transition. Are we are we prepared for that? So nobody's planned for this. Nobody expected this as of two months ago. Um, but we are spending enormous amount of time thinking about this. We have partners uh, that are consulting firms like Boston Consulting Group that are helping us think through this issue. Um, we know that the administration and the career officials uh, responsible for transition planning are thinking through these issues, and presumably the Biden team is thinking through them. So the answer is nobody has thought about this, but there's an intense amount of work, uh, an extraordinary amount of work being done to figure this out right now. I want to uh, have, go through a little bit of history here, and, and you know, you alluded earlier to some some. Uh, uh, administrations are very good at uh, transitions. The, the Bushes, both uh, George Herbert Walker Bush and George W. Bush were very good at it. Obama was good at it, the, uh, despite uh, even though he was a little slow on the getting folks confirmed and such. Um, some some were, you know, there was uh, were, were kind of 
not not good citizens on the way out. And we should, for full disclosure, you were you served in the Clinton administration, and yes. on the way out the door, the Clinton administration did some stuff that wasn't very cool. They uh, they were you know this was a, as you said it's a contested election, of course, in two thousand went to Supreme Court and uh, and uh, Bush v. Gore and um, but on the way out the the Clinton uh, they they allegedly did like fifteen thousand dollars worth of damage right. to the uh, to the offices and they and did petty things like removing the W's from the keyboards and yes. the White House uh, computers <laughs> what was do they do they rank as some of the top jerks going out the door? <laughs> Well, I think that what happened there was a little juvenile, and we actually talked about this on a on a podcast with Josh Bolton, who was the you know the chief of staff, and he said my phones were forwarded to a different number so people would call me, but someone else got the calls. So uh, there were some juvenile pranks, um, but you know you look back in history, and there were actually terrible transitions. So going back to Adams and Andrew Jackson. You know, Jackson refused to meet with Adams after the election, wow. and Adams refused to attend the inauguration. So, you know, Johnson to Grant. Uh, Johnson didn't attend Grant's inauguration. Hoover to FDR. Hoover begged FDR to help during the five-month interregnum. Remember, transitions used to be five months, and FDR refused. Um, they just couldn't stand each other. So... Yeah, there have been some bad transitions. I think that, you know, George W. Bush gets a lot of credit for laying the groundwork for the most effective transitions. And I think that two things sat with him throughout his presidency. One was the transition from Clinton to Bush was not very smooth because of the Bush v. Gore issue and just because maybe some juvenile pranks. And then second is eight months into his administration, he dealt with the World Trade Center crisis and September mm-hmm. 11th. And so when he left office, he basically said, I obviously have a preference. I want McCain over Obama, but I want to lay the groundwork for the smoothest, most professional, safe transition ever because my transition in wasn't perfect and we're at a time of war. And actually, what he did with Obama during the transition they collaborated together to solve many aspects of the financial crisis during the during the two months between the election and inauguration day and that was at a time when our country was in crisis so both obama and bush deserve a lot of credit for smooth effective transition of power and also on your podcast which i commend to other people uh you uh, you've had uh, folks on who say I think it was Chris Liu from the Obama administration. He said he had a lot of uh, his <laughs> he was storing transition documents in his attic. Is there a is there now more of a central repository for these yes. type of documents? Yes, I mean it's, instead of Chris instead of being in Chris Liu's attic. Yes, as you said, the transition process has become much more professionalized. So today, transition teams know that they have to have good IT security. Uh, the GSA provides computers and storage systems for that uh, General Service Administration, which is kind of the real estate and support organization for the federal government. So it's much more organized. And I think the transition teams know that they are going to be significant targets of foreign espionage because we know that many, many foreign governments would like to get their hands on information about a potential transition. And so 
every transition team would be wise to practice good high IT hygiene. And that's and are you confident that the teams uh, involved now, the prospective teams, are are going to be doing that and have been or, and will do that? Yes, I'm confident. I'm also confident that foreign intelligence services will try to break whatever systems are created, but I know that people take it seriously. And on the podcast, there was really a chilling moment where Josh Bolton, who was the chief of staff, he called the Obama transition team and said, hey, we want you to know that a certain foreign power is hacking into your system and you need to upgrade your IT security. Wow. This is just, an, this is an unknown vulnerability or was an unknown vulnerability for us uh, that, uh, but now hopefully uh, of all the other things we have to worry about now, this won't be one of them. Exactly. Dave, uh, thank you so much for, uh, for being on It's All Political. Thanks very much. Go A's and go Warriors. There we go. I'd like to thank you all for listening and I hope that you and your families are safe and healthy. I'd like to thank Dave for joining us from Washington, D.C. today to scare us about something entirely new. I'd like to thank the King, King Kaufman, for producing this episode. And remember, whether your keyboard has the W missing or not, it's all political. It's All Political is a production of the San Francisco Chronicle. Our executive editor is Audrey Cooper. Our theme music, our wonderful theme music that I love, it gets me jazzed up, is Cattle Call written by Randy Clark and performed by Randy Clark and Croson. Support It's All Political and the newsroom that creates it by signing up for a Chronicle membership. It's very easy. You just go to sfchronicle.com slash pod.